Maybe you are, or someone in your family is known for losing things. Uh, losing money, losing keys, losing your phone, losing a wallet. Most times, we've just misplaced them, haven't we? And we, we find them later. I, I remember looking for my glasses once. I looked everywhere. Um, I accused every single person in the house of either hiding them or moving them. I eventually found them when I looked in the mirror. And realizing they were sitting right in my face, I went and hid for the rest of the afternoon. <laughs> but what about times when we actually do lose something? I remember a mate of mine once losing his wedding ring. He was absolutely gutted. To be honest, he was mostly scared, I think, of his wife. This was one of those one-of-a-kind wedding rings. He couldn't just kind of nip to the jewelers and get a replacement one. He was absolutely panicking. It turns out that he'd lost it in a forest. He had zero chance of finding it. In the middle of the loss, there was no hope for a solution. Today, we're going to be thinking about something that's far more difficult than losing a wedding ring. A topic, actually, that, that no one really wants to speak about. But we are this morning, we're going to talk about death. And I guess the real question is this, is there hope in death and after death? Before we get on to hope, and we will get there, we need to stick with death for a little while, okay? So I've got two points for us this morning. The first one's this, death is real and painful. Death is real and painful. Look again at verses 1 to 3. Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. Sarah died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. And Abraham rose up from before his dead. Now verse 1, you'd say, it starts off on quite a positive note, doesn't it? Sarah lived a hundred and 27 years. She'd lived a full life. She'd experienced incredible things. She'd seen amazing things. That Sarah is the only woman in the Bible whose years of life are recorded tells us that she has a special place in the Bible's long list of godly women. No doubt about it. Abraham had a great wife. And as we read verse 1, I think we'd agree that there's much to celebrate. But verse 2 makes clear what's being flagged up in verse 1. Sarah is dead. She's dead. She's gone. Her life is over. Death has come. It's been said that the only certain things in life are death, and taxes. And let me tell you this, you might get a tax rebate, but you're not getting a death rebate. When you're dead, you're dead. So many people we know, maybe even you, are experts at avoiding that truth. 
Many people speak of loved ones who've died as still being with them, or of feeling them there, uh, of knowing that they're watching out for them somehow, looking after them. But let me say this as gently as I can. It's not true. They're dead. And it's difficult. Now, without a doubt, one of the best songs of the 90s was an Oasis song called Live Forever. Well, I think so anyway. It's a great song. It's got a good melody. It's got swagger. It's got arrogance. And it's got that powerful chorus, you and I are going to live forever. I remember singing that song back in the day with the boys. One arm round your mate's shoulder, can a red stripe in the other hand, and thinking you are absolutely invincible. Some of those boys are no longer here. They didn't live forever. They're dead. You and I are not going to live forever. A few years later after that, some of you who were around then might remember a song that Liam Gallagher did with Echo and the Bunnymen. And the title of that song is far more accurate. Nothing ever lasts forever. Now all of us here this morning have lost loved ones. Some of us quite recently. And listen, we'd love it, wouldn't we? We'd absolutely love it if they were still here. We'd love to speak to them again. We'd love to hold their hand. We'd love to see their smile. We'd love to hear their laugh. But they're not here. Death is real. And it's painful. And we do ourselves a great harm to pretend otherwise. Abraham knew that death was real and painful. Some of the Bible commentaries that I read last week suggest that Abraham and Sarah could have been married for over a hundred years. And here we're told that his wife is dead. Now notice this. Abraham didn't try and put a brave face on it. He didn't try and act like all was fine. We're told that Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. He mourned, he, he grieved, he, he wept, he, he didn't bottle things up as we in Scotland are so often encouraged to do. Now in a very real sense, Abraham's life would, would never be the same again. Abraham had lost his wife, he'd, he'd lost his best friend, he'd lost the one who gave birth to their son Isaac. She was gone. They'd never eat together again. They'd never share the same bed. They'd never enjoy time together again with the children. Instead, Abraham's new reality was a sense of emptiness. The reality of loss. That feeling of being suffocated by the grief and the pain that was being poured out on him in waves. Listen, I'll say it again. Death is real. And it's painful. All of us here this morning are going to lose people. All of us here this morning will die. And I think if we're being honest, both of those things in different ways can scare us. 
You might not admit that in front of the people you're with, but deep down in your heart, you know, these things scare us. Some of us have loved ones today who find themselves walking through the battle against cancer. And it's not one they're going to win. Some of us know people who are walking through Alzheimer's and dementia, and again, they're facing a battle that they're not going to win. Others of us here this morning, we, in addition to worrying about the death of other people, we may worry about our own death. A good friend of mine once said this, and maybe his words are the same for you. I'm not afraid of death, but I am afraid of dying. And he said that because what really bothered him was not knowing how that would happen. He said, I die, I go to be with the Lord. I'm fine with that, but I don't know how, I, how I'm going to die. I don't know if it's going to be painful. I don't know if it's going to be long. I don't know if it's going to be drawn out. And he said, I'm scared about that. What I think we want to know this morning when we think of these things is the answer to this question. Do we have any hope in the face of death? And the answer is yes. If you're a Christian today, and listen to those words carefully, if you're a Christian today, and if you're going through a season of grief and mourning, or if you are worried about dying, God speaks these words to your heart. He speaks many other ones, but listen to these ones. Matthew 5, verse 4, well-known words. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Or Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Or how about Isaiah 41, and verse 10, fear not, for I am with you. Do, be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Now again, let's be real this morning. In one sense, we need to acknowledge this. There is nothing that takes away the rawness and the pain that we face in the middle of our grief. There's nothing. It's there. It exists. It's real. It's painful, and it lasts for quite a long time. But know this. God isn't absent. He's not absent in our grief. And in the middle of our chaos and pain, He is in control. It's what we looked at in the book of Daniel, isn't it? Every week, time and time again, God is in control. And so in the middle of our pain, God comforts us with His presence. And even though it feels like we might be slipping, God holds us and he doesn't let us go. And not only does God know what we need, he is the only one who really understands what we're going through. And so those famous words of David that he speaks in Psalm 23, they speak for us too when we face death, when we find ourselves in the middle of of grief and mourning and suffering. Make these words your words this morning. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? 
for you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. So there is hope in the middle of the pain of death. But the next part of this this morning is, is there any hope for what happens after death? On one level, again, it, it all seems so hopeless. Just think of Abraham and Sarah. They'd, they'd left their homeland. They'd settled somewhere new. And now decades later, his wife's dead and he's got no land to bury her. Look again at verses 3 and, three and 4. Abraham rose up before his dead and said to the Hittites, I am a sojourner and foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place that I may bury my dead out of my sight. That's a situation. And it doesn't seem very hopeful. But what we're going to see in our second point is this. Death isn't the end. Death isn't the end. Now to explain why that's true, we need to speak a little bit about this burial site that Abraham bought. Now we've just read that Abraham describes himself as a sojourner in the land. That's not really a word that people use much today, but it basically means that he, that he was a foreigner who was just passing through, that, that his time in this land was, was temporary. He was passing on to somewhere else. And so he's got no ownership in this place. He's a foreigner. He's a sojourner. He's passing through. He doesn't own anything. But there's an urgent situation. His wife's dead, and he needs to bury her. Now, the conversation which, which happens in the rest of this chapter, I think, seems a bit strange to us. Seems a bit removed from how a transaction would take place today. We see that Abraham asks to be given land. Uh, they refer to Abraham as a prince of God. They back that title up by offering him to, to use the, the best burial site that he can find in the land. But Abraham has a, has a specific plot. He knows the land that he wants. Now, as was the custom of the day, Abraham speaks through a mediator. He gets someone to speak to the people for him. And so he asks them to speak to this man called Ephron, and this guy, Ephron, owns this piece of land that Abraham wants to buy. Now look at verse 9. Abraham says this, For the full price, let him give it to me in your presence as a property for a burying place. Now Ephron then seems to make some kind of offer back, and it seems to be really generous. I give you the land. Sounds good, doesn't it? I give you the land. I give you the cave. Bury you're dead. Now, for absolute certainty, if that offer is made in Nidri or, or anywhere else in Scotland, that offer is getting accepted every single time. But what we can miss here is that this was the typical language of an ancient business transaction. There would be a purchase price, but the whole thing is drawn out. Abraham then offers Ephron the whole price, and now Ephron puts a number on it. He says, 400 shekels of silver. What's that between you and me? Actually, what we might miss is that that was a very high price. It wasn't 400 
coins. It was a weight. And what Ephron is asking for is about three kilograms of silver. That's a lot of silver. It's worth a lot of money. Now, as you and I know, when someone says, I'll sell you it for, for this much, what's going to happen next? You're going to say, well, actually, no, I'll offer you 200, 300, 250. Let's call it 275. That's normally what we'd expect to happen. But no, Abraham weighed out the full weight. Abraham paid the full price. And he took ownership of this field and the trees, the whole area. And this is the place that he would bury his wife. For those of you who know Genesis, you also know it was a place where Abraham would be buried, where Isaac and Rebekah would be buried, and also where Jacob and Leah would be buried. So what, you see? What does all that information mean? Why does it matter? Well, let's remember that God made Abraham some great promises. Promises that he also made to Isaac. Promises he also made to Jacob. In chapter 12, God said this to Abraham. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I'll show you. I'll make of you a great nation. I'll bless you. I'll make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And then in verse 6, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring, I will give this land. So let's put all of that together. Through the help of a mediator, Abraham has paid a high price and now owns a piece of land. And it's not just any old piece of land. It's a piece of the promised land. Now at this point in time, Abraham's not a great nation, but in years to come, Joshua would lead the nation of Israel into the promised land and it would become theirs. And so that great promise to Abraham would be fulfilled albeit some 400 years later. Years after that, just near this cave, David, Israel's greatest earthly king, would be anointed. So this small plot of land, bought because of death and the need for burial, this piece of land, this small, seemingly insignificant piece of land, it, it speaks and it hopes and it trusts in a great future. And make no mistake, Abraham knew that. Now let's just return to those words that Jason read a wee bit earlier in Hebrews 11. Listen to this. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents, temporary, with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. And then we also read this, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, 
but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. Incredible verses. You've probably seen the film Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. We can argue later whether the Johnny Depp version of it is better than the Gene Wilder one, but if you go for the newer one, you're wrong. <laughs> if you've seen the film, you'll know that there are five golden tickets hidden in chocolate bars all across the world. Should you get one of those five golden tickets, you'd get to visit this amazing chocolate factory. And the world goes crazy for it. And it's just plain luck that little Charlie buys a bar and wins. That ticket gets him into his dream visit to visit this chocolate factory. In some ways, the story that we are considering this morning reminds me of a golden ticket. Of course, there are massive differences. For Abraham, there was no luck. There was no chance. Abraham didn't stumble upon a ticket. Abraham already has a golden ticket. And his golden ticket to an amazing place came through faith. As Abraham buys this land, he is shouting out to anyone who will listen, I know that God will fulfill his promise to me. Abraham saying, I know that just as my life is temporary, so is death. Abraham saying, I know that I'm going to enter into this tomb, but there's a day coming when I will enter into God's amazing place, enter into heaven forever. Abraham knows that when he buys this land, he, is, he knows all of this by faith. And you see, that's true because all of this points forward to something greater. It points forward to someone greater. Now, we've seen that through the help of a mediator, Abraham paid a high price and now owns some land. But the greater story is that Abraham knew that the only mediator he needed was Jesus. And he knew that Jesus would come and Jesus would pay a much higher price than three kilograms of silver. He knew that Jesus would come and pay the ultimate price. And we know, don't we, that Jesus came and he gave his life and died for our sin on the cross so that all who believe in him will be saved. This small parcel of land that Abraham buys, make no mistake, it's all about faith in Jesus Christ. And the fact that all who trust in Jesus have a golden ticket, have a cast iron guarantee that they will enter heaven. Let me ask you a question. Where's home for you? Where's home for you? Some of us might say Nidri. Others Aberdeen. Others Denmark. Others Brazil. Others various parts of Africa. Now listen, I like living in Edinburgh. But sometimes I get really homesick for the northeast. 
But here's the thing. All of us as Christians should be homesick. But not for another town, not for another city, because this world is not our true home. Like Abraham, we are sojourners. This world is just our temporary home. We're just passing through. Heaven is our home. Sarah may have died in the promised land. She may have been buried in the promised land. But that wasn't Sarah's true home. Her true home. Abraham's true home. Every believer's true home. Every believer's true home is in heaven. All of us this morning are headed somewhere. The question you need to ask is this. Where are you headed? Where are you headed? If you don't know Jesus, you have no hope in death. And to be sure, death isn't even the end. One day everyone is going to stand before God. And if you've trusted in Jesus, you're going to heaven. No doubt. But if you've, if you've rejected Jesus, you're going to hell. No doubt. And so, in the midst of your sin, if you're not a Christian this morning, call upon Jesus, the only Saviour. Repent of your sin, trust in him, and receive the forgiveness of sin and the guarantee of eternal life. And for those of us who are Christians, what we've seen is this, that there is hope for us in death and after death. We have the same hope as Abraham, the sure, the certain hope that we will enter that great city. As we face death, Death isn't the end. It's temporary. You and I are going to live forever. So there is hope. The hope of heaven. The hope that death will one day be no more. And on that day that Jesus returns, he will wipe away every tear, mourning, crying, pain, sin. They're going to be banished forever. That's our hope. That is our future in Christ. And so until that day, we can keep on because of Jesus. Because of Jesus, we can live well. Because of Jesus, we can die well. Because of Jesus, we can suffer well. Because of Jesus, we have true hope and an indescribable homeland. Let me close with those words of Jesus from John 14. And maybe these are words that you just need to hear this morning. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Amen.